I told my sister I had given my heart to Christ, and I shared with her. And so after a couple of weeks, I was listening and starting to read some things. I knew, because I'd grown up in a Christian home, I knew that you were supposed to share your faith. I just never heard anybody share their faith. I just never run into anybody, even though I grew up in the Bible Belt, on the buckle of the Bible Belt. I never heard anybody... No one ever just came up and gave a personal witness to me, um, and I had never heard anybody do that. And so I decided I would start sharing my faith, and um, I kind of got frustrated because when I would talk to young people my age, or when I would talk to the hippies that were down in Washington Park in downtown Macon, they didn't really want to hear it. And then when I would talk to people that are my age now, they go, oh, you're such a sweet boy. That is so good that you're sharing. And I didn't want to hear that, you know. And so it took a while to learn, you know, how to effectively share Christ's message. Then when I began to effectively share Christ's message and I began to bring people that listened, um, our church didn't want them to come to this church. They just didn't feel like they belonged there. And so I was actually told, you know, don't bring these people back to church anymore. And that was kind of just, um, it was not cold water. It just, it was like rubbing, do you know what I mean when I say rubbing you raw? You know, it just, I just, it, I knew that it wasn't right. Then I met a man, um, an evangelist. His name was Johnny Trout. How would you like to have a name like that? Johnny Trout was actually <clears throat> a former a car designer and graphic designer, and he would work with he had worked with people like Chuck Barris, and he had worked out in California with other folks and and designing cars. And Johnny just had this way about him that whenever he shared Jesus with people, they just listened. They just stopped what they were doing. And I remember one time Johnny and I were riding together, and he saw a playground full of boys playing basketball. He goes, the Lord wants us to go talk to those boys. And so we jumped out of the car. We went out there, and I was just, my mouth was wide open because all of a sudden these boys stopped playing basketball, and they listened to Johnny's. He shared his story. Well, in my mind, it kind of connected, well, Johnny Trout is cool. He's got a cool name. You know, he's worked with Chuck Barris. He's a graphic. He could draw things, and he would do these these um, uh, black light drawings, and black lights were really popular in the 60s and 70s, if you remember that, and people just loved it, and I thought, well, you got to be cool, and what I really came to discover later was you don't have to be cool, you've just got to be willing to spend time with Jesus and love people and learn to share. So tonight, I want us to look at a short passage of Scripture and we want to talk about sharing Jesus' message. Now, remember, Jesus has left the city that he grew up in for the second time. We talked about this last week. He had left the second time. He went back to them because he loved them. He gave them another chance to hear the gospel. Jesus was amazed. And this is where we closed last week. Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. He was amazed at their lack of faith. And so we left with this conviction in our hearts we want to amaze God with the amount of faith that we have. We want to amaze God with our conviction and with our faith in Him. And so that's where we left off the story. 
Jesus was amazed at their unbelief, and the Bible then picks up and says, if you're following along with me in Mark chapter 6, and this is the second half of verse 6, and we'll go down to verse 13 tonight. Then Jesus went from village to village, teaching the people, and he called his 12 disciples together and began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick, no food, no traveler's bag, no money. And he allowed them to wear sandals, but not to take a change of clothes. That's an interesting little sidelight that he puts there. Wherever you go, he said, stay in the same house until you leave town. But if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. So the disciples went out, telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God, and they cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. I'd like you to go back up to about verse 7, and I'd like you to look at where it says, he called his 12 disciples together and began sending them out two by two, giving them authority. Circle that word authority right there. Because that word in Greek is exousia, and exousia means authority and power. And so the word is used with two different meanings, and that's not often you find that in our, in our Greek text in the Bible. But this word could be used as power, but I think there's a specific reason that it's used as authority here. There's power there. But I want to talk to you tonight about the authority that you and I have to share the message of the Lord Jesus Christ and why that is so important to you and me. Number one, Jesus empowers and he sins. Jesus empowers and he sins. What I didn't understand at 16 and 17, 18 years old until I met Johnny Trout was I knew that I was sent, but I didn't actually recognize the power that God had given me. Now, having models are good. I wanted to be a good model to my children. I wanted to be a good role model to the young people that I was a youth pastor to. I, I want to be a good model for you. I, I, I make no bones about it. I want to be able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. I want to be able to say that. I want to be a model. Here's the thing. All of us, in some way, shape, or form, we have, mo we have modeled our lives after somebody that's come before us. We've copied them. Now, a, a surgeon goes to work first as an intern, and he works with great surgeons, so he learns how to become a surgeon. So he copies some of the things, or she copies some of the things that they learn from this great surgeon, but eventually they develop their own unique style of doing surgery. And that's true in every sphere of life. And what the disciples are doing is they're following Jesus, not only as their role model, but as their Lord. They've seen him with power. They've seen him with authority. But they've seen him with love and compassion. And they've even seen him interrupt his journey on the way to, to heal a sick girl who died because a woman who shouldn't have been in the crowd touched his garments, and they saw him calm the sea. They saw him, you know, take a, 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 a demoniac that the demons identified themselves as being many who lived inside this man's body. They saw this, 
And they're learning from Jesus' power and authority. And I have a feeling they were far more intimidated by this. Go ahead, Alexandra. You, you're, no, you're no problem at all. Everybody say hi to Alexandra. Uh, as, she, as, as they thought, I could never do what Jesus did. And as a young person, I thought to myself, I could never do what Johnny Trout did. He was a real, genuine hero in my life, and deservedly so. So when Johnny helped me to understand in those young days that not only was I sent as a, as a follower of Jesus Christ, but he says, God gives you power not to become like me. I mean, I was never going to work with Chuck Barris. I was never going to be a designer. I didn't want to be. I didn't know who Chuck Barris really was until Johnny told me all about him and introduced me to him. Let's look at this verse of Scripture. And he called his 12 disciples together, and he began sending them out two by two. Now imagine six dynamic duos. When I say dynamic duos, you think of Batman and Robin. But here are the original six, the dynamic duos. He's sending them out together, and he gives them exousia. He gives them authority. In other words, he gives them authority and power to cast out evil spirits. Well, why did he send them out two by two? Number one, because we strengthen and encourage one another. When we have prayer partners, when we have a small group, when we have friends that are passionate followers of Christ, we not only can encourage each other, but we become a source of strength. And there will always be times of rejection in ministry, and we bring comfort to one another in times of rejection. And I don't know if you've ever experienced rejection where somebody has just rejected you. If, if you have a hard time remembering that, go back to your teenage years when you really liked a girl or you really liked a boy and they rejected your advances and, and you've had that sense of, I'm not good enough or something like that. Jesus is telling them, he prepares them that they're going to be communities just like the one they left, his hometown, that rejected his ministry. And so Jesus drew comfort from his disciples. Remember, Christ became the God-man. God became human flesh. He wanted his disciples with him at times, like in the Garden of Gethsemane. Number three, we help one another discern so that fewer mistakes are made. Today, I had to make a decision, and so there are some people helping me make that decision. And so I sent out the best thought that I had on it, and I said, pick this apart, criticize this, take it apart, because this is going to affect other people's lives. And, and I've been fortunate to hear back from people. Some are going, it's solid, it's good, or have you thought about this? And so we help one another discern. We don't, we don't want to just affirm each other, but we want to constructively help one another grow and become better. And that's what the disciples did. I use this word spur one another on. Spur because it's a King James Version word that I love. We spur one another on. Really the word should be encourage one another on. But every once in a while, all of us need a little kick in the side. Can you say amen? Or maybe a kick in the seat of the pants. One time, one time now remember, he's given them authority. He's given them the authority and the power, and we'll talk about the difference in a moment. But one time, Gideon asked the question. He said, if the Lord be with us, where are the miracles? And I think there's a lot of us that at times, we get mainly focused on the miracles, and we forget about the message. I think we forget that not only is God 
a miracle-working God when it comes to you and I, but what we call a miracle is really just natural to God. And one of the things that has really helped me when it comes to the, the idea of miracles happening in our world today is God who is outside of time and space, God who is outside of history, God who created all of this. It's not that God suspends natural laws, but our God of love comes in and works because he's the one that gave us our natural laws. Does that make sense? And so God works, and we call that a miracle, but that's just God being God who spoke into the chaos and says, let there be light, and there was light. Let there be plant life, and there was plant life. I mean, he's an amazing God. Can you say amen? I mean, he really, really is. But what we learn in the economy of God, in the kingdom of God, is when we come to God expecting miracles, we have to remember God's never going to do our part. So Jesus gives them authority and power, and he sends them out. And before the miracles happen, they have to go out with the message. And so a lot of times, people come and say, will you pray for me to have a miracle? And I'll ask them questions sometime, and they're not ready to do their part. Because remember, when, we, when I did the series on miracles, there are some miracles that they're unconditional. But there are some miracles that are just conditional that we have to do and the attitude that you and I must always have is an attitude of faith an attitude of obedience and an attitude of belief faith obedience and belief and if we'll do that then secondly we'll find Jesus provides Jesus provides in Mark chapter 6 and verse 8 he told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick no food, no traveler's bag, no money. Well, we don't send people out like that today to do ministry. I mean, this is a different world and a different time that we live in. Later, just because I, I want to keep this in balance, later you'll see Jesus telling them, take some food, take some money, take some supplies with you. But for this particular journey, he wants them to learn the power of faithful obedience. And so it's not a contradiction of stories. It's a discerning of what God wants us to do at a certain time in our lives. And so you take this verse, and they've seen the miracle on the Sea of Galilee. They've seen the miracle of the feeding of thousands. They've seen the miracle of the deliverance of the Gadarian demoniac. They've seen the healing of the woman. They've seen the raising. I mean, there's so much that they've seen, and now they've seen Jesus have this collapse, this failure. Let's call it what it is, is failure, and he leaves the city he loves, and we have no record that he ever went back. He left his hometown of Nazareth, and he says, now, fellas, I'm going to continue to preach, but I'm going to send you out as dynamic duos, and I don't want you to take anything but your walking stick. Oh, and you can take your sandals as well. I, I don't know why Mark chose to add that, but you can take your sandals as well. I can tell you this. Jesus would not have had to tell me I could take my sandals. I, I would have had my shoes on. I think the thing that we have to learn here is that Jesus had prepared the disciples that you can trust me at any time when I tell you to do something. David had learned how to sit before the Lord and to wait in prayer. Gideon, although he saw a great miracle, he had to learn to sit before the Lord in prayer. 
Sometimes I worry, and I said this Sunday morning, you know, we can have a feast, and we can have a praise service, and everybody wants to show up. But when it comes, and I'm grateful, I think last week we had over 400 people join us with, for prayer last Saturday night. But I'm so thankful for that. But a lot of times if you call a prayer meeting at church, only a handful of people will show up to pray. And I always tell people, I don't want you to come out of guilt. I want you to come out of joy. I want you to come because you want to pray and you believe in the power of praying together. I want you to believe that when we come together in his name and we pray as touching any one thing, it will happen. I think the church is in danger, not just Woodland. I'm talking about the church at large is in danger of losing confidence in prayer. And what makes this revival at Asbury so incredible, and, and I believe now it's kind of, you know, the, the, the all-day meetings have kind of no longer taking place, but what it made so powerful were these young people were spending hours before the Lord in prayer, and many of them saying that was the first time they'd ever been a part of an all-night prayer meeting, a part of an all-day prayer meeting. There has to be this confidence that we have in prayer because we are not here to survive. We are here on a mission. We are not here to keep the doors open. We're here on a mission that God has sent us on. And the way we do that, several ways, is we focus, number one, on God's power. We focus on God's power. What we learn from this passage is that if we will respond in faith, if God tells us to go out like he did the disciples, we can go further than our natural resources could carry us. If they had disobeyed the Lord, I don't think they would have enjoyed the success that they'll have. You see, Pastor, how can you be so confident of that? Well, number one, God loves you more than you love you. God's going to take better care of you than you're going to take care of you. All God looks for is for you and I to give him the opportunity to bless us by our faith and by our obedience and by our belief. And when we do that, we tend to see miracles happen in our life. And if we worry less and worship more, that is the key, I think, because worry is worship turned around backwards. If I'm worrying, I'm meditating on what could go wrong. If I'm worshiping, I'm meditating on what God said he would do if I obeyed him. If I'm worrying, I'm worrying about how small I am and how big the problem is. I mean, I don't know. Have you ever faced a demonic spirit? Have you ever faced a demoniac? And now you're the dynamic duos and Jesus is not with you. I mean, he's the one that's been doing all the casting out. And he tells you, you're going to cast them out. So have you ever faced that? And when you do, you find out if you start worrying about, oh, do I have the power? Oh, this is frightening. The devil's bigger. You're going to fail. But, oh, Jesus is here. Jesus sent me here. He wouldn't have sent me here to fail. He has sent me here to overcome. Get it? And that's the difference between worrying less and worshiping more. But I see another principle here, and that is, and I may sound a little bit like Thoreau here, and I don't mean to. I do enjoy reading his stuff. Live simply, but live efficiently. Live simply, but live efficiently. Someone packed for an overseas trip the other day, and they called me, and they says, 
this is my first trip overseas. <clears throat> Can you tell me how to pack? And I said, well, where are you going? So they told me. I said, make a list of everything you're going to need and then call me back. So they made a list of everything they needed. They called me back. I said, now pack it all up. I don't care if it takes two bags, one bag, pack it all up. So they packed it all up. I said, now, when you do that, call me back. So they called me back. I says, is it heavy? Oh, it's so heavy. I'm not sure that the airlines is going to clear it all. And I go, well, if you'll take out half of what you've packed now and what you think you need, you're still going to have too much. Well, that's nothing more than quoting Thoreau who says, take whatever you think you need in life and cut it in half, and that's where you'll find happiness. Now, I'm not quoting Thoreau for happiness. I'm just saying that we tend to think we've got to have everything just right. Jesus says, take your staff, and oh, by the way, you can take your sandals too. Wasn't that sweet of Jesus? <laughs> you can take your Nikes with you. You see, what he's doing, and he's showing us that when we have the minimum of provision, God calls out the maximum of our faith. When we have the minimum of our provision, God calls out the maximum of our faith. Who would have ever dreamed during COVID that when we just started putting an iPhone up in the nobody here, just an iPhone, that people would tune in and listen. And then that led to cameras and, and lights. And it just, it's amazing how God has expanded our provision. You start with something little and God helps you to grow something. But then also, he tells us then that we have to care for one another. We don't become selfish. And I think sometimes when I'm watching The Chosen, I see this so beautifully illustrated. Now, I'm not old, but I just got done talking with a teenager. And I enjoyed being with that teenager. And um, our birthdays are two days apart in July. And I said, you know, one day, I said, probably not too far off the distance, I said, pastor's going to be in heaven. And I want you to know I love you, and I'm praying for your good success. But I'm going to tell you something now that I want you to remember for the rest. I wish somebody had told me this when I was young. I said, my best stories, my best stories in life are those of faith where I've been tested, I've been tried, and my faith has been proven and affirmed. And I'll tell you, friends, those are probably the stories the disciples told to one another. The best stories are those of faith that is tested, proved, growing, and affirmed. And when you look back, I'm sure you probably have discovered in life, those are your best stories of life as well. The third thing Jesus does is he prophesies. He, he prophesies. Now, Jesus is more than a prophet, but in this case, he says something very interesting. It's not what you expect to hear. It's certainly not what you want to hear. You want to hear that everything is going to go swimmingly well. In Mark chapter 6 and verse 11, but if any place, and just think community, if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned these, those people to their fate. Remember, I mentioned Washington Park a while ago. Washington Park in Macon is just a beautiful, beautiful park with a natural brook running through it, lots of stones, and it's just a beautiful spot. And to come back up to where Washington Library is and then down Orange Street where our church was at, you had to climb these steps. I'd had a particularly bad day. People were mocking. 
I was the only person out there sharing my faith, and they were mocking. And I ended up telling one guy, you're going to bust hell wide open. And I actually hoped he busted hell wide open. And I hope you will forgive me for that. But I was just, it just, things weren't going well. And I remember when I got to the top of those steps, a friend of mine named Robin Sego, she and I later would sit there on those steps and we would talk about this. I remembered this scripture, and I wanted to shake the dust off my feet because nobody listened to me, you know, and, and they were mocking. And it's real easy. Now, it's real easy to get mad when people don't listen to us. That's when we know we've let our pride get in the way rather than the message of Jesus take place in our hearts. Because I don't think Jesus ever stood up and says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I think with a broken heart, you could hear him say, all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. That's what took him to Calvary. And this is not a statement of vindictiveness. This is not a state of eternal condemnation. This is to somehow or another in their day and in the time that they lived in for them to give a message to the community they were leaving. You've rejected the gospel. You've rejected your time of visitation. People understood that was a serious thing to do. I mean, to, the Jewish people have understood the seriousness of that. But what it did is it freed the disciple to move on. Now, follow me because there's more to this than just understanding what it meant to the disciples. Because a lot of times, we can be tempted to go, I'm going to just shake the dust off my feet. I'm going to go somewhere else. So I'm going to move or I'm going to do this. Building community is hard work, whether it's church community or local community, whether it's grassroots politics or whether it's building uh, 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 something like uh, the series that's out right now of advertisements that he's one of us. All of that's just difficult, challenging work to do. And before we give up because we face a little conflict, we need to remember what Jesus is saying. You don't threaten people into the kingdom. You don't tempt people into the kingdom. You don't entice them into the kingdom. You give them the message of the gospel. Why did Jesus come to Calvary. Why did Jesus become one of us? And when we can understand why Jesus became one of us so that he could take our sins upon himself and he would die for us and then send us out with that message to the rest of the world, then all of a sudden we understand the seriousness. And if we've forgotten the power of concerted prayer, I think we're in danger not just at the church at large, but sometimes right here in our own congregation, we've forgotten the power of the cross. People have told me many illustrations I shared from Sunday morning, but the real powerful one was Paul's purpose was to preach the gospel where it had never been preached because lost people matter to God. Paul's power was in the gospel itself, and he anchored that in the cross of Christ. Perhaps one of the reasons, I'm not saying it's the only reason, but perhaps one of the reasons he told them this is we have a short time together. We have a short window together. We have three years of ministry together. I've been blessed with almost 50 years of ministry, and I'm so thankful for that time. But I'm going to tell you this. 
It's a never-ending task. It never stops. It never slows down. The need is always there, and I'm kind of grateful for that. A drunk came up to me when I was a young preacher. I was drinking a Mountain Dew, and he was drinking something out of a paperback. Young feller, what are you going to be? I told him, it's going to be a pastor. It's going to be a preacher. He goes, ha, as long as there's people like me in the world, you're going to have a job. <laughs> I've never forgotten that. As long as there's people like me in the world, and friends, those people are the mission of God. So let's just tie this together with our growth floor tonight. My mission, your mission in life, is an extension of Christ's work in the world today. Our mission as a church, your mission, and however God uses you, is an extension of God's kingdom in the world today. Mark 16, 15, at the end of the gospel here, Mark will tell them, he'll, uh, Jesus will tell them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Secondly, my growth work tells me this, my call comes before my comfort. My call becomes before my comfort. Let me take just a little time with that tonight. You see, Christians, we tend to progressively prosper. If we serve the Lord and obey the Lord, we tend to progressively prosper. And there's a danger of us, as one author said, becoming Christian squatters rather than pilgrims in this world. And what he meant by squatters was we become comfortable and we forget our mission in life that we're called to keep moving forward under the banner of the cross. Then if you'll look with me this next verse, calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, now he's calling out to the crowd. If you remember our circles, he's calling out to the crowd. He wants them to join the core. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, your comfort, you will lose it. But if you give up your life, your comfort for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Those people that have died as martyrs in Christ, they've gained life. Those people who died faithfully serving the Lord, they've gained Christ. It's what Jesus is saying there. But my efforts must be focused to bless others. Not about seeking blessings for myself, but to bless others. Mark chapter 6 and verse 12. So the disciples went out, telling everyone they met, repent of their sins, and repent if you're listening online and, and maybe never heard this before. Repent is just simply change the way you're living. If I'm going, if I'm going right, which may be appearing as your left there, but if I'm going right, I repent and I go left. I've done a 180. That's what it means. Jesus says, Stop following after the world or stop following after your way, what you want in life. Turn and follow me. That's what it means to repent. And so to repent of their sins, turn from their sins, turn to God. And the Bible then says, look at this, they cast out many demons, they healed many sick people, and they anointed them with olive oil. What were they doing? They were destroying the strongholds of the enemy. They destroyed the strongholds of the enemy. Look at me. Don't miss this. They destroyed the stronghold of the enemy, not because they went to do battle with the devil. They destroyed the stronghold of the enemy because they went to preach the gospel. And when they preached the gospel, when they obeyed God, faith, 
obedience, belief. Fob, forward operating base, faith, obedience, belief. When they obeyed Christ and they preached the gospel, the power was externally manifested through the disciples to cast out the devils, and they earned the authority with the people to be able then to heal the sick and to be able to help them in whatever ways they needed help. You see, sometimes I think we get it so focused upon the sensational and the dramatic is that we want to, we want to impose power over hell. The way we impose power over hell is not by coming to do battle with the devil. It's by being faithful to God, obedient to God, believing God, sharing the message of the cross. What I was learning as a young man there in Macon, Georgia, downtown, and Johnny Trout taught me, love people. And if you will love people and share God's love with them, they will listen to you. In essence, in my immaturity as a young Christian, what I wanted was another notch in my gospel six-shooter that I had led another person to the Lord. And what I learned from Johnny was to love people. You see, Jesus' vision must be mine, it must be yours. And he gives us the authority that we need to finish this race in life. One more memory from my childhood. Is anybody in here besides me old enough to remember the Lone Ranger? Remember that? You remember the question is, who is that man? And what would Tonto say? Tonto would say, that's the Lone Ranger. And then what would happen? The horse would rear up in his air, in the air, and he'd go, high old silver, and off he would ride. I wanted to be the Lone Ranger so bad. But what I look at now is that the Lone Ranger wasn't really alone at all. He had Tonto. They were a dynamic duo. We need one another because there are dynamic duos in this church. Can you say amen? amen? Amen. I am so glad you tuned in tonight. I'm so thankful you let me share a little bit of God's Word with you this evening. I'd like to pray with you and with everyone that's here tonight. So if you'll just join me in prayer right now. Heavenly Father, thank you. Give us an overwhelming love for people. Help us, oh God, to work and serve as dynamic duos, Lord, that love each other. We love you. And we can help and comfort and help each other discern. And when we do experience rejection, that we can be there for one another. And finally, Father, I ask you, as we operate in faith, obedience, and belief, I pray in the name of Jesus that your authority will be extended through us so that people are delivered, people are saved, people are healed in your name and for your glory. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. Good night. Thanks so much for joining us.